There's so many things that are a mystery and there's so much shame around menstruation for women that the idea of becoming a total nerd around your cycles is something that we're not really encouraged to do. It's like a hide it away, make sure there's no smell, make sure there's no blood, make sure there's no sign of it, you know, make sure that nobody knows you're on your period. It's, it's always been kind of this terrible secret we've been told to keep. So the idea of actually researching it and mastering it, if you can master it, you can be unstoppable. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share candid chats on all aspects of well-being so that you can live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebelagin. Explosive and heavy. That's how comedian and podcaster M. Rossiano describes her period. But the thing that annoys her most about it is that she didn't feel like she had control of it until her mid-30s. Now, rather than being surprised every month, she tries to work with her cycle. She knows it isn't something you just plug up and go, and rather she gives herself permission to do less when it is heavy. In this episode, the booty ambassador makes the case for talking about our periods more, her experience of being diagnosed with ADHD and autism in her 40s, and why she's unlearning the shame around both. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast chat today. Pleasure. Now, the reason we're talking today is because you're part of Booty's Do Less campaign. So I thought it'd be really cool to start the chat with your own relationship with your period over the years. Oh, it's dramatic. It's torrid. It's tumultuous. My period came as a terrible surprise and... I thought that you got it once and that was it. That was the signpost. You, you know, you can procreate. Yeah. And that's it. And then maybe you get it one more time to signal the end. And then when it kept coming back, I was so mad Um, because I was raised by a boomer. uh, Where do I come from? Used to be this terrifying VHS tape that was what was played to a lot of us. If you were born in the early 80s, you would know what I'm talking about where the sperm had terrifying faces and it would be a drive-by sex education. So my mum would put it in the play, a press play and walk out of the room. And you just sat there kind of trying to make sense of, you know, the reproductive system, period, sex, how babies are made. And that was it. That was all that was discussed because boomers. But yeah, my period came and my period is, look, let's go deep, explosive, heavy. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Has a mind of its own. Often appears in times of great anxiety appears at times where I'm in total, I'm just so distressed and my body really just thinks, you know what this woman needs right now while she is barely hanging on to her sanity with her fingertails? An explosive period. Mm. So she'll come. I didn't really get control of my period until I was about 35. Yeah. And I'd already had two children by then. When you say control, what do you mean? Well, Realizing that you don't have to bleed uncontrollably, uncontrollably each month, that there are things you can do, you can put, have a Moderna put in, you can go on the pill, um, even just keeping a calendar of it, even just keeping track of it, it came as a nasty surprise every month. Uh, yeah. like, it's like, oh, God, that's right. Um, I kind of treated it as it's just this huge annoyance and mm. rather than working with it, I think I worked against it a lot of the time. Um so yeah, just, and just not feeling like I always, I just felt really mad. I felt really mad every month and I'd I'd have a terrible week and I'd be feeling awful and, oh, it must be this, it must be that. And then I'd get my period the next few days and I'd be like, oh, and again, just not taking that into account, not paying attention to my cycle at all. Not even realizing that your hormones dip and change during the cycle. And, you know, 
there's so many things that are a mystery and there's so much shame around menstruation for women that the idea of becoming a total nerd around your cycles is something that we're not really encouraged to do. It's like a hide it away, make sure there's no smell, make sure there's no blood, make sure there's no sign of it, you know, make sure that nobody knows you're on your period. Mm. It's, it's always been kind of this terrible secret we've been told to keep. Yeah. So the idea of actually researching it and mastering it. But if you can master your cycle, my friend Lucy Peaches, she's amazing, um, she helped me master my cycle. If you can master it, you can be unstoppable. Yeah. Mm. Is, so is she the one who first gave you this idea about working with your cycle and the ebbs and flows? Yeah. I mean, I met Luce a few years ago um, when she started doing all the period work. Um, she's actually a booty lady also. Yeah, she really and, – and I was – I would have been 40, around 40, 41 when I met her. So she really encouraged – me and the, and by extension, my listeners to, I don't know, honor the different phases. Yeah. And like the reason I kind of wanted to work with booty around the do less idea was because Lucy encourages that like your body is doing something enormous. It is literally shedding its lining. Like you're not, it's, it's doing a thing that is exhausting and your hormones are changing and why shouldn't you be resting? Yeah. So that idea I loved because we're always kind of taught to push through and, you know, the advertising in the 90s was go go skydiving, go wakeboarding. Oh, know, I get, used to hate those Extreme ads. sports, yeah. But even yeah. like seeing girls like frolicking on the beach because they've got their period and they're wearing How? short shorts. I'm like, How? when does this ever happen, people? When? Then like, where's, like my string would be flying out. There'd be like light red kind of droplets coming down my leg. And also there was an obsession with putting women on their period in white. Yes. White linen. This is this weird obsession. We'll show you how how well our period products work. <laughs> we'll put her in white. And it was just the whole way, because periods have always been sold to women through the male gaze because yeah. men controlled advertising for so long. They've controlled the way it's portrayed in movies. And so for a long time it was something, and it was blue. Our period blood was blue in mm-hmm. advertising. You know, it was... It was crazy to think, but none of us, you know, our kind of neutral setting is the male gaze. It's this straight, white, 40-year-old dude. That's beauty standards. That's, you know, every standard you can think of that's been set by advertising has been set by a 40-year-old white guy. Yeah. And it's only now those things are starting to change. But the internalized misogyny around our periods that all women, you know, unless you're really evolved and have worked hard to get rid of it or you had a really great mother to you know who raised you to embrace it and be proud of yourself and your body and what it can achieve – all of us have a weird shame around menstruation. Like it's just if, if it's just the way we've been brought up, unfortunately. So yeah. I love being a part of conversations that break down any sort of shame for women because there's so much shame in just waking up and existing as a woman. Anything I can do to break that is, is something I'm always going to gravitate towards. Yeah, and even reading Lucy's book. So I read her book a few years ago when Period it came Queen. out. Period Queen. Good girl. And then I... And when I read that, I was like, oh, shit. I'm like, this is why I tend to feel certain ways during different parts of my cycle. Mm. And it was so empowering mm. knowing that, like, these are ways that, that your hormones are going to affect you. And mm. rather than work against it, mm. you can work with it. Mm. And imagine if they taught this in school. Oh, my God, yes. You know? Yes. Do you know what a difference if 13-year-old girls and boys were sat down whenever, you know, whenever you start menstruating, 12, 13, and taught this stuff, 
Imagine the difference it would make. It would be such a massive shift for mm-hmm. such a small thing. Just add it, add it to the syllabus, add it yeah. to the curriculum. Yeah. It's wild how little most women know. But even like I randomly asked the question, you know, how do you clean your vulva to my followers and, and the people who listen to my podcast? And some of the responses were terrifying. Like what? Like putting jet streams of water up their up their vulvas, like high pressure water, soaps, apple cider vinegar, apple cider vinegar. Yeah. Where did they hear that? That's right, terrible. Because no one teaches you how to clean your vulva. Yeah, and the answer is you don't. It's a self cleaning oven. You don't need to. You just splash a little bit of tepid water up in it. If that, but you don't need soaps and this, this idea of Femme Fresh and I have a personal war against Femme Fresh, any feminine products that's, if you need perfume on your vulva, that means you need to go see a doctor. If you've got a smell down there, your pH levels are out, there's something going on, just go to your doctor. Yeah. Don't whack, don't whack some acidic perfume on your vulva. Well, this is where these kinds of conversations are really important mm. because instead of just being like, oh God. There's something going on down there. I don't know. I, do, I don't feel like I'm able to talk about it. Yep. Like knowing that, hey, maybe there is an issue. Go see mm. your doctor. That's really mm. important. Like even though, like even when I was growing up, I thought having really painful periods were normal. Mm. Painful, heavy periods. And because my mum mm. experienced the same. And you talk about growing same. up with boomers. My mum's a boomer too. So yeah. she didn't know any difference. So mm. every month I just thought this is how it is. And it was, an only, it was only when I was working in the health media, talking to different experts, Amazing. talking to a lot yeah. of different women about their own experiences, it made yeah. me realise, hey, this shit ain't normal. No. Like you can yeah. go see someone. Exactly. But we're not encouraged to. And it just drives me wild. My daughters, and to anyone who has access to a daughter or knows a daughter, talk to her about her vulva. Normalize it. Yeah. Because the only way our daughters and, you know, AFAB community are, are told, you know, to talk about their vaginas is often in a sexual sense. So there's something mm. you only ever talk about your vulva, you know, around and, and it's acceptable as if it's a sex situation. You know, And, and now they're seeing horn vulvas and they look very different to the majority of vulvas out there and I just think teaching them that the vagina vagina is the wrong term the entire situation the entire organ down there between it's called the vulva the vagina is just the bit the penis goes into which is why everybody talks about it because that's the only bit men are really interested in uh everything else is kind of for us and how we function biologically so I think just normalizing talking about your vulva is going to be a huge step massive how do you do that with your own girls? Oh, we've just always done it. Yeah. It's just normal. I don't know. It started very young around teaching them, I guess, around consent and like only you touch your vulva and only, you know, it. and people need to ask permission to even give you a hug. Like my girls have known from very early on, you know, mm-hmm. this, the consent is a big deal in this house. But me even just talking about, oh, I've got my period, I'm exhausted. My period's really heavy. Oh, my, um, my period, my pad, I didn't bring a pad and I got my period and it went all over my clothes or we just talk about it. I'm, I'm feeling awful. I wonder when my period's due. And I ask them, where are you in your cycle? How are you feeling? So we just talk about it normally. Like we would talk about any other health issue or, or part of their body. You know, if you've got a headache, if they've got cramps, we'll talk about why. It's just something we've always done. So it's not unusual. I mean, I also danced with 12 
fully formed vulvas on stage in a national comedy you, special. Yes, you did, And wrote you? a song called Flap Up. So we're clearly <laughs> a vulva positive household here. Um, with your girls, have you noticed that that kind of same open conversation is happening around kids their age as well? No. I think it really depends on the household they came through. Yeah, true. I think, I mean, I speak to their friends about those issues quite openly, but that's just, this house is just known for that. Like this house is known to be a bit bonkers and chaotic in that way. So everything's on the table. We talk about it. It's very yelly, shouty, emotional, um, no secrets kept house. But I don't think, no, I'm, I mean, they talk about their periods really freely, which is nice. Like I hear them, I, I'll hear them say to their friend, oh, I've got my period, I'm just feeling exhausted or yelling across the house to each other as sisters, have you got any tampons? I'm out. So I think it's better, but I don't know. I'm not seeing it really reflected in the stuff that they consume, you know, in the, yeah. in the TV shows even still. And I think that, I think gender's come a long way and I think sexuality's come a long way, but I still think there's a lot of period shame going on. And in TV shows that I watch with them, I'm still not seeing a lot of period positive chat. Okay, this is a bit random, but it makes me think I used to be obsessed with watching The Walking Dead. And it always made me think, how did they deal with periods in the zombie that. apocalypse? Never brought up. I think about that all the time too. Do you? And like also, I also think about like when I'm watching Pride and Prejudice or when I'm watching a show that's depicting, you know, centuries ago. Yeah. And I think what did these, they didn't even have underwear. Like, what did they do? Did they just run down their leg? Did they just, I think about that all the time. Okay. And I, yeah, it's, it, that's a, that is a very, yeah, I agree with you. I think about it a lot and I love the zombie apocalypse angle, but I just feel like, and it would attract the zombies, wouldn't it? Like, wouldn't that, wouldn't they be? I don't, yeah, because they, they're they like watch? sharks. They smell blood, right? See, this is the show I want to watch. Yes. Someone incorporate <laughs> it into a storyline, please. <laughs> I expect to see this in the next zombie apocalypse movie, please. <laughs> I need to understand the mechanics of what happens when a human gets their period mm-hmm. and, and and how they cope and did the zombies find them and like yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Okay, cool. <laughs> so what was what's the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself since discovering more about your cycles and how it affects you? Just to go easier, I think I'm someone that's always been very hard on herself. I'm an eldest child, daughter of an immigrant, perfectionist. I have autism. I have ADHD. I've spent my life masking and contorting and trying to figure out what that person needs me to be. Um, I'm always kind of walking around feeling like I'm 10 steps. I need to go faster. I need to go faster. And I think around the time of my period, it would be I would be incapable and I would be in I would fight with everyone and I would be mm. really touchy and more so than usual because I'm an autistic person. Everything comes at me at a thousand and my period on top of that just made like life felt unbearable one week before my period forever. And I never really got why. Yeah. And so once I understood the cycle and the progesterone levels dropping and I understood that, and then I understood that I have a lack of dopamine and then I understood that I'm autistic the week leading into my period for my whole menstruation career made sense. So when you're able to change your relationship with the cycle, I think you're able to be easy. Like you're able to cut yourself some slack. Mm. It's really hard to do if you've learned to be a certain way, to be a people pleaser or be a parent pleaser. I'm all those things. Yeah. Um, but for me knowing that, oh, okay. So when you actually, just before you get it and when you're getting it, you're going to feel like half the person you really are. And you need to honor that and lean into it and look after yourself the way you would look after a friend 
if they said to you, I'm feeling half myself, I'm feeling flat, I'm feeling angry at everything, I'm feeling frustrated, I feel like everyone hates me, you know, all the things we go through before we get our period. And I would be like, mate, sit on the couch, put your feet up, don't wear white, Mm. let's do whatever you want. So what does that look like for you? Doing less? Yeah. I mean... (laughs) I'm not very good at the practice. I'm very good at telling people to do this. <laughs> but you're aware um, of it, which is a yeah, big thing, right? It, it's a mental thing for me. I mean, physically, I have three kids and a full-time career. And mm. so doing less needs to look like little stolen moments. You know, just little, I'll sit and instead of walking around drinking my coffee, I'll sit and I'll drink my coffee. Mm-hmm. I'm allowed three minutes, you know. Or I'll, um, I'll make my bed in the mornings. I haven't today, as you can see. Um, just little things that, you know, tired M later in the day will appreciate. But the biggest thing, doing less for me, is doing less mentally. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I now do. And But I have noticed when I, when I get my period now and I'm feeling, like, exhausted, I used to just push through which is what women are encouraged to do in the AFAB community, just push through, just keep going. This is just something we can plug up and you go, mate. Mm. And now I'm like, nah, I'm just going to sit. And also my girls need to see me doing this. So I will announce to the family, my period is very heavy. I'm going to sit down. Um, If you need anything, just ask yourself, is this something I can Google or can it wait? (laughs) (laughs) But it's hard. It's a hard thing for us to untrain we've been conditioned for so long to push through our periods to actually it's almost like it's a weakness have you got your period yeah yeah i fucking have yeah i'm shedding my life i am bleeding out of my body so i think it's badass it's it's a hard thing and we should acknowledge that rather than it's a weakness that we're tired because of our period yeah Well, having an open dialogue around periods is just one thing that you are very, you're very well known for. Mm. Um, And another topic that you've been instrumental in bringing more awareness to is being diagnosed with ADHD in your 40s, which you spoke about famously at the National Press Club, and then being diagnosed with autism. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with your story, could you share some of that with us now? Sure. Um, my whole life I have felt like I am an alien monitoring another species. Mm. I've always felt different and I could never really articulate why. My first day of primary school and they called the role, I went to a very Anglo primary school and my name's Emilio Rusciano. And as soon as my name got said amongst all the Jades and the Bradens, um, I was othered and called a wog and stinky box and go back to where you came from and all those things. So... That's kind of how I started in the world. And on top of that, I would sit in class and watch students solve problems or get asked even just maths questions and my brain would do it completely different. And I never understood why. And I found I was really, really good at hard things and really, really bad at easy things. Mm. I couldn't I couldn't remember, you know, my memory was terrible unless it was a special interest topic and then I was an expert on it. If I was able to hyperfixate on something, I could get enormous amounts of work done. But if it was something like studying for a spelling test or times tables or just things that my brain could not prioritize, it was like walking through sludge and snow. 
And my teachers and my parents were very frustrated with me because I was really excelling and producing amazing work in certain areas. And then in other areas, I was bombing math, science, and I kept getting accused of not trying hard enough, not reaching your potential, you're lazy. And and as a result, I just kept working harder and harder and I still couldn't do it. And then, um, you know, I just became really good at a lot of different things. Like I just wanted to prove to everyone I was good enough. And so I was really good at athletics and I was really good at art and I was really good at storytelling. And, you know, I managed to find a career where I could do that, but I always struggled in workplaces. I'm blunt and I'm quite rigid around things, but I'm also extremely spontaneous and loud. Like my ADHD and my autism are in constant battle with each other. Uh, my whole life has just been this a hundred out of a hundred emotional roller coaster. And I've always felt like I've been kind of like a passenger with my brain, mm. but I've been able to keep myself busy, keep myself busy. And then the pandemic hit and um, all my coping mechanisms and all the ways in which I was masking my symptoms of ADHD and autism was like, all fell away. It was like a house of cards, like just gone. And I was exhausted and I couldn't keep up with anything and I didn't understand what was going on. And I thought maybe it was my iron levels. So um, I went to see my doctor and I just explained, look, I can't do anything. I can't even email people back. I can't respond to text messages. I can't even formulate a recipe that I've cooked for years and years. It's like my brain is completely left. I don't, I can't, I can't figure out how to do anything. And he, and I said, do you think maybe my iron levels are down? And he said to me, well, maybe it's your iron levels. Maybe you're in perimenopause. Maybe it's your hormones. Yeah. Or maybe it's ADHD. And I kind of looked at him and I said, what do you mean? Because I'd always associated ADHD with 10-year-old hyperactive boys. Yeah. And he said, well, there's been an uptick in diagnosis of women your age um, because of the pandemic. And, um, you know, I've been been reading around it and, uh, you know, I've known you your whole life because this man delivered me. He literally pulled me from my mother. (laughs) And he said, you know, looking at the new diagnostic requirements, I would say you're a pretty good candidate. So I was like, oh, cool. So it's either low iron, menopause, mm. or ADHD. Amazing. Yeah. So I went and got tested for all of them. I've still got one working ovary. My iron was shit. Uh, I had a transfusion. That was much better. And I aced the ADHD test. Mm. I, low iron is also a really common thing with neurodivergent people as well. So the ADHD thing happened. I got medicated. I started therapy. I started learning about executive function and how I completely lack it. So people with neurodivergent brains don't have that department that when information comes in, you can then prioritize what needs to happen and in what order. It comes at us. Uh, Everything is prioritized at 10 out of 10 and our brain then just feels paralyzed and where do we begin? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was was. The time of learning and grief and sadness for 10-year-old Em who mm. felt like she was on the outside and all the things in my life have been affected by ADHD. And then my son, um, my middle daughter was diagnosed with ADHD. My son, Elio, started kind of showing signs of autism. So we went and got him diagnosed, went through that process, took about nine, ten months. And during that process, I really saw myself in a lot of the diagnostic questions so um, I finally, this year, no, end of last year, went and got myself assessed 
And um, I was, yeah, I'm, I'm what they would have called Asperger's, but we don't use that term anymore because of its links to Nazis. I'm level one autism, autistic woman. And um, for me that that has been, I'm still adjusting to it and yeah. understanding it. And um, it just does explain a lot about me. And the reason so many women have been missed, especially my age, is because of the diagnostic preference to male presentation. So the only the only examples we've seen of neurodivergence is male presentation, mm-hmm. is the bouncing off the walls, is, say, Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, and that's forever how all autistic people must be. Yeah. But autistic women mask and we study other people forensically and we learn how to be a human person and we we try and figure out, is this too much eye contact? Is this not enough eye contact? But the symptoms in women for ADHD and autism are so different and there's still some psychiatrists that don't accept that. Yeah. So it's really potluck. If you get a psych that is old-fashioned and still thinks autism is only really the way the men present, yeah. it's really it's really awful about it, how luck of the draw it is around female neurodivergence diagnostic process. So they're changing the diagnostic process for ADHD and more girls are getting picked up and more women are getting picked up and that's the uptick. It's not because it's a fad or it's popular. It's because we now know more and more specialists and scientists and diagnostic you know, um, experts are understanding the female presentation so more girls are getting picked up and more women are getting picked up. And now mm. mums are taking their daughters to get diagnosed, going through the process and going, oh, shit, that's me. Because yeah. if your kid has ADHD, 100% either you or your husband or both or their father or whatever has it. This is hereditary is height. So um, it's been huge, massive. It's kind of shook to the core everything I understood about myself and who I thought I was yeah. and who other people think I am. I kind of have had this reputation of being this outspoken, abrasive firebrand. Um, but I think if I was a man, that wouldn't be the case. Uh, for so long and I never understood I have this really strong I hate injustice I can't keep things to myself you know that all these things that I thought were just faults and personality defects and I've developed great shame around I now know are just things that's just how I'm wired yeah it's like asking a blind person to see you know I I can't change my brain I cannot change the fact that I am autistic nor do I want to so um yeah I'm learning the shame around that I'm learning the shame around my period. God, it's been a big 12 months, hasn't it? <laughs> so that's it. That's that's my story and um, I'm still working through it and I want to make something around it. I recorded the diagnostic process for the autism because it just seems to be so much mystery around it. So I'm going to make a podcast about getting diagnosed with autism and oh, that's um, awesome. let people inside the process. Yeah. Um, which is very personal because the questions are hectic and you have to really be honest. But I'm really passionate about women's health, the AFAB community's health, and not enough people are, I don't think, and I don't even think we aren't sometimes. So mm-hmm. anything I can do to help that, be it, you know, working with booty around periods or, you know, making my own stuff around neurodivergence, I'm really passionate about shining light into spots that are dark and sticky and shame-filled because they don't need to be. I've felt dark and sticky and shame-filled most of my life. And if I can help one or two women or tens of thousands not feel that way, then, you know, that's I'm doing my job. Yeah. 
When it comes to unlearning the shame, what are the tools that help you do that on a daily basis or what kind of things do you tell yourself? And mm. I'd love to love if you could share that with our listeners in case, you know, they might be feeling a lot of what you say probably is hitting home to a lot of people yeah. listening. Yeah. I think it's really important to be aware first and foremost of your internal dialogue and how you speak to yourself. And if you can find a way, a little stopgap, a little, just a little phrase. I've been working with Ben Crow, who's a mindset coach, and um, he helped me around the National Press Club. He worked with Ash Barty. He works with every, you know, important sports person and, and politician you could think of around mindset and how you can really shift the way you think about things to achieve stuff. And for me, whenever I feel a certain type of way, be it triggered shame or anxious or embarrassed or anger I my phrase is what's really going on for me here what's going on stay curious because if you're curious you can't be anxious that's the number one thing that I kind of live by is stay curious ask questions keep going and because I'm autistic asking questions I drive people crazy I've always asked questions I'm naturally curious yeah um but that's it just don't bog down on yourself. Don't lock down on anything. Just keep keep open, stay open, keep it open, keep it open, be curious, and you'll find you'll, you'll come out of the hole. Shame is an awful thing. Women, proportionately, and AFAB community have more of it. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's fucking toxic and awful and poison, and you've got to try and find ways to break out of it. And something like your period, which is biologically something you cannot help. Yeah. You don't need to feel shame around that. Or your mental health. You can't help the way your mental health is. There are just certain things that it's just unnecessary. Body shame. Like there's so much, there's so much complexity to being a woman or, you know, born a gender assigned a woman. And I just think if you can start being gentler with yourself, it'll make a huge difference. Yeah. So I think stay curious, then you won't be anxious is, is the best thing I can kind of advise, I think. This episode of Uninterrupted was hosted and produced by me, Lisa Gebulagen. For more from us, grab a copy of our latest issue with Kelsey Wells on the cover. You can find it on newsstands or online via Apple News Plus. Visit us at womenshealth.com.au and follow us on Instagram at womenshealthaus. Thanks and see you next time.